If you haven't been with us uh, recently, this morning we're bringing to a conclusion a series in Genesis that we started way back in January of this year, um, and we're bringing it to a conclusion with the final, a passage from the final chapter of the book of Genesis. Now, the last 13 chapters of Genesis are really all about this character named Joseph, and this passage today looks back on his life. And before we actually read the story, which is going to be Genesis 50, verses 15 through 21, if you want to go ahead and find that, um, I feel like it'd be good for me to set the stage just a little bit this morning by offering a little review of Joseph's story. Um, You know, Joseph grew up in a very broken, dysfunctional family. He had 11 brothers, uh, but of those brothers, his father Jacob made it very clear that Joseph was the favorite of them all. And on the one hand, that really had the effect in Joseph's life of, uh, how we put it, uh, of turning him into a self-absorbed, arrogant, spoiled little brat. And for his brothers, it provoked them towards jealousy um, and even hatred to the point that they were intent and conspiring to even murder Joseph. But at the last minute, when they had decided to kill him, they, they changed their minds and decided to sell him as a slave for 20 pieces of silver to a traveling slave trading group of Midianites. And so Joseph wound up a slave in Egypt But because of his master's wife, he was unjustly thrown into prison, and he sat in prison for years and years of his life. This is the story of Joseph, tragedy after tragedy, right? Years and years of abandonment and suffering. But then one of Joseph's fellow prisoners recommended Joseph to the Pharaoh of Egypt to help interpret his dreams. And Joseph realized that these dreams meant that in the land there would be seven years of plenty, but those years would be followed by seven years of famine. And so Pharaoh, seeing that Joseph possessed this insight and this wisdom and the skills necessary to prepare Egypt for this coming famine, he put Joseph in command of all Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself. And through Joseph, thousands and thousands of people's lives were saved, including his brothers, their families, his father Jacob, who came to Egypt so that Joseph could provide for them. And then the patriarch of this family, Jacob, he died. And we're picking up the story in Genesis chapter 50 right after Jacob's funeral. So follow along with me now, and I will read for us Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. And if you want to follow along with one of the Bibles that are in your pews, uh, you'll find this story on page 44. Let's give our attention to God's holy and inerrant word. Genesis chapter 50, beginning in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us. And pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, 
Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear. For am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Then he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go to him now and ask for his help in understanding this passage. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you and we do ask for your help because this is your word given to your people, and we need it. Um, We need uh, to be reminded this morning that Despite how we have come in through these doors, uh, whether we're surprised to find ourselves in a church this morning, whether our hearts and minds are full of doubts, or whether we're excited to be here and with your people and to hear you speak, whether we are facing tremendous hardness right now in our lives, Father, whatever we're facing right now, please remind us this morning as we open your word that in the end, we're really all the same. Because the truth is, we are far more broken than we could ever imagine. And so together, we need to be reminded of our hope that because of Jesus, his person and work, we can be at the same time far more broken than we could ever imagine, but also far more loved and far more secure and far more accepted than we could have ever dared to dream possible. So, Father, help us to see this good news this morning and change us by it. Amen. Uh, The the question for this morning is this. um, How is it that the same tragedies, uh, the same suffering, pain, and abandonment How is it that it can harden and embitter and fill with resentment some people's lives? Um, I I mean, that's what Joseph's brothers were thinking. Surely, he's still holding a grudge against us, and he's going to pay us back for all the evil. Let's send him a message. So how can those same circumstances, which harden some people, turn Joseph into someone who is so free and so humble, and strong, and tender, and gracious, and joyful? That's the question. Magic eye posters were a big thing when I was in junior high, and they were these posters that were really colorful, and they were filled with all these intricate designs and shapes, uh, but hidden inside of them were these three-dimensional images. And, and I distinctly remember the first time I saw one when I was hanging out at the mall with a friend of mine, which way back then was a cool thing to do. Um, and I remember we were looking at these posters, and I was getting so frustrated 
with the whole process. Because my friend, I could hear him saying stuff like, wow, that's awesome, so cool. And I couldn't see anything in these posters. I don't know what that is. Sorry about that. Um, but, you know, after a minute of looking at these posters, he would say, oh, this one's a ship, this one's a castle, this one's a mountain. And I wasn't seeing anything, even though I was looking at the same exact posters. And so my friend finally told me, he said, you're not looking at them the right way. And so he explained, here's what you got to do. You've got to focus on this one spot. You've got to almost let your eyes go cross-eyed, and then the images will appear. And he was saying, I had to learn how to see these images the right way. And when I did, the images appeared. Same posters, but now I could see what I hadn't seen before. How do you keep from growing hard and calloused and bitter and resentful and fearful and anxious because of the brokenness of life that has crashed into your life? And how instead can that same brokenness set you free and transform you and make you more kind and more loving and more gracious and more joyful? The answer is you have to learn to see. That's what Joseph was telling his brothers in these verses, and that's what he's telling us this morning. So you have to learn to see life the right way. So three things Joseph tells us we need to learn to see if we're going to be transformed by life's brokenness and not be hardened by it. These are the three things. We need to see God on his throne. We need to see God's hand at work, and we need to see and reflect God's grace. See God on his throne, see his hand at work, and see and reflect his grace. First, we need to see God on his throne. What is the first thing that Joseph said to his brothers? This is verse 19. Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? It's obviously a rhetorical question. He's saying, I've learned in life to see God on his throne. He's saying there's a God reigning and ruling from his throne, and I've learned that I'm not him. I've learned not to try to take his place on his throne. And learning to see that is what set Joseph free. This isn't just a central point in Joseph's story, and it's not just a central point in the Genesis story. It's the point of the entire Bible. Right. Have you ever thought this, uh, because I've thought it, why when God made Adam and Eve and, and, and he put them in the garden, why did he give them a command about not eating fruit? I, I mean, it wasn't poisonous fruit. Um, this was in God's unblemished, unfallen, uncorrupted creation. But the history of the world and humanity resting on a command about fruit Really? Um, I mean, why didn't God give them a command that would have made more sense? Something like, I put you in this garden now, don't kill each other. Or don't lie to each other. Here's the reason. It's because, listen, if God had said, don't kill each other, don't lie to each other, or something like that, all of us would have said, Oh, now I get what sin is. Sin is doing bad things, right? But that's not 
what the Bible sees as the essence of sin. The essence of sin in the Bible is a refusal to see God on his throne. The essence of sin is seeing yourself in God's place, on his throne. See, God was saying, don't eat from that tree because I'm God and you aren't. He was saying, I want you to obey me just because you love me. Not because it's useful to you or because it will make your life better, but just because you love me. You know, Satan's temptation, if you think all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, his temptation, it was all about seeing. When you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Get free of living under God's throne and his rule, Satan was saying. Envision a life where you're on the throne, where you call the shots, where you're in control, where you determine what's right and wrong in life. But my question is, is that freedom? Is that really freedom? Could it ever be freedom? Years ago, when I was in graduate school, I bought my first dog, um, a chocolate Labrador Retriever, and I love that dog. We have a dog now. My kids and I talked about this the other day. I do not like that dog, so I can't do illustrations about that dog yet. So, um, but labs are um, are bred for retrieving in the water. It, it's in their blood. It's in their DNA, all the way down to their webbed feet that they have. And when I first got that puppy. I remember taking her to this pond to get her in the water for the first time, and I, could, I tried everything, and I could not convince her to get in the water. I got in the water. I took off my socks and shoes, got in waist deep, tried to call her to me. She would have nothing to do with it. So I gave up. A week later, I came back, same dog, same thing. Still couldn't get her in the water. I got in the water again in that muddy water, tried to call her. She just sat on the bank and cried. Maybe got her paws in the water. That was about it. And I started to get concerned. I thought I'd been sold like a defective lab or something like that. But I came back a week later, and this time she finally got in. And once she got in, it was so so stinking hard to get her out of the water. I mean, to the day she died, if you got her close to the water, she would cry and cry until you let her get in the water and swim. See, what I'm saying is when she finally made it into the water, she figured it out. She figured out this is what I was made to do and be. And it set her free and it liberated her when she figured out what she was made to do and be. Joseph learned to see God on his throne, and he stopped trying to put himself in God's place, and it liberated him, and it set him free. He wasn't made to be in control or to call the shots in his life or to, deter- or to determine what's right and wrong. He saw that he was made to be a child of the king, and it liberated him, and it set him free. Now, think about this just for a minute, and we'll move on. But when you're nursing a grudge against someone who's wronged you, or or, or when you're remaining angry and bitter and resentful over the injury or the abuse that was done to you, you're so, so very far from freedom. 
And you know it, you feel it. You're enslaved by it. You're controlled by the hate and the anger and the resentment. Also think about this. When your life takes an unexpected turn and you find yourself crippled by anxiety and consumed by fear, you know that feeling. It's not freeing. It's absolutely enslaving and controlling. When bitterness or resentment or consuming anxiety gets a hold of you in your life, do you know what's happening? You aren't seeing God on his throne, is what Joseph would say to you. You've taken his place, and you're convinced that you know exactly how things should go in your life, and you're terrified that God's going to get it wrong. That's why you're worried and anxious. You're convinced that you know what your boss or your spouse or your parents or whoever deserve because whatever they deserve because of what they've done to you. You're convinced you know what that is. But do you really know what they deserve? Do you really have the right to judge them? Do you have the wisdom necessary to know what justice would even look like in their lives? See, Joseph is showing us that the only way to get free of the anger and the resentment and the fear that enslaves us is to finally take your hands off of your life and see God on his throne. Okay, second, we need to learn to see God's hand at work. What Joseph says in verse 20 here is incredible. He says, as for you, speaking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. He's saying, in everything you did to me, your intent to kill me, you're betraying me and selling me as a slave, you're abandoning me. I've learned in it all to see God's hand at work and to see his hand at work for good. Listen, without fail, every year uh, of school for my my kids, in one of their classes, there's going to be a caterpillar in a jar or a container. Um, Happens without fail every year. And they'll wait, and they'll watch it, and they'll see it form its little cocoon on a a little twig or something like that. And eventually, it'll emerge from that uh, cocoon as uh, as this beautiful butterfly and able to fly. And one day it happens, and they, they finally see all this transformation take place. And they see this caterpillar that was in the cocoon, and now it's struggling and tearing its way out of the cocoon. And it's hard, and it's difficult, and finally it gets out of the cocoon, and it can fly. And it's this beautiful butterfly. But here's something interesting about butterflies. If you try to help that butterfly, if you maybe tear just a little bit of that cocoon to make it easier for him to get out of the cocoon and remove it from its struggle. You know know what you do? You destroy the butterfly. It will never be able to fly or soar if you don't let it go through that struggle. It will never be what it was made to be, right? Because the, the way it develops and grows the strength necessary to fly is through the struggle to free itself from the cocoon. What Joseph says in verse 20 really is incredible because he's not denying the evil that was done to him. He's saying, you meant evil, right? It hurt, and it was hard, and it was painful, and it was wrong. 
But he's also saying, God used it for good. I've learned, he's saying, to see God's hand at work in it all, making and shaping me into the person he wants me to be. I mean, if you go back and read through Joseph's story, there are all these times where God seems completely absent from the story. But last week we talked about Genesis chapter 37, the whole story of Joseph going out into the fields to find his brothers and of their intentions to kill him, but how they end up selling him as a slave to these passing slave traders and how he wound up in Egypt. And listen, go back and look in Genesis chapter 37. Not once in that chapter is God ever mentioned in that passage. Not once. And yet every single detail of what happened was clearly God's hand at work. Right? Joseph just happened to meet a stranger when he got lost. A stranger who had just happened to hear about his brothers moving to Dothan. He gets to Dothan, and his brother Reuben, this is just a part of the story, right, just happened to be there to prevent his other brothers from killing him. But then Reuben just happened not to be there when they decided to sell him as a slave to a group headed for Egypt. And Joseph is saying, through it all, I've learned to see God's hand at work for good, even in the evil, even when it seemed like God wasn't there and absent, and I couldn't see his name anywhere. Do do you remember what the main thing you wanted to know when you were learning to ride your bike for the first time? On two wheels, I mean. Um, The training wheels come off, and you're going to learn to ride your bike. I've seen this with every one of my children, right? The panic and the concern and the fear is just written all over their faces the day you take those training wheels off and say, today's the day. I mean, because even at four years old, they know that asphalt is pretty unforgiving and painful and hard. And every time we've gone through this, my kids want to know one thing. And one thing only. I mean, they don't care about pressure in the, in the tires, air pressure in the tires. They don't care about whether the, the chain's been oiled recently. They, they, don't care, they don't even care if the brakes work or not. They're not concerned about that. The one thing that child wants to know is whether or not I'm going to keep my hand on the bike. That's it. Right? I mean, just before they start, they say, you're not going to take your hand off, right? Say, right, I'm not. And they look back to make sure your hand is making contact with the seat. That's the one thing. What if you learned? What if you learned to see all of your life like that? To know that God's hand is always there in your life and always at work for good. That absolutely nothing ever comes into your life without first going through his loving hands and intended for your good. It's probably fair to say, I think it's fair to say that I'm youngish. Um, it's probably not fair to say I'm young anymore at 43, but, but I've been doing this vocational ministry thing for 20 years now. And I'm a pretty slow learner, um, but I have observed two things uh, when it comes to mature Christians. One No mature Christian ever looks to go through suffering in their life. And two, no mature Christian ever becomes a mature Christian without going through lots and lots of suffering. 
It's tempting to read this story and say, okay, I get it. Um, Bad things happened to Joseph, but then God gave him wealth and power and status and so on. So if I just wait and trust him, God will fix all the circumstances of my life. But listen to this. Change circumstances, that really isn't that big of a deal. Circumstances are changing all the time in your life, aren't they? What's harder is changing someone's heart so that circumstances no longer have the power to crush you or puff you up. I mean, what's amazing in this story is that God's hand was at work to change Joseph. Everything happened in Joseph's life in just the right measure, at just the right time, in just the right way, and not one bit of his experience was ever wasted. And now near the end of his life, Joseph is a completely different person from when you meet him in Genesis chapter 37. God was at work healing his arrogant, self-absorbed, self-consumed heart and turning him into a kind, gracious servant to the very ones who had betrayed him. Can you see God's hand at work to change you because of his never giving up always and forever love for you? His commitment to heal and redeem you. Because if you can see that, that will give you hope in the midst of despair and suffering. That will give you joy in the midst of abandonment and rejection. All right, finally, we need to learn to see and reflect God's grace. Joseph's brothers, this is the story, Joseph's brothers were afraid that Joseph was now going to pay them back for all this evil. But if you read this passage, you'll realize that Joseph did far more than just not pay them back. Verse 21, he promised to provide for them and for their children. He comforted them. He spoke kindly to them. He saw God's grace, and then he reflected God's grace to his brothers. This is the end of the first book of the Bible, and Joseph only got a dim hint of the promises of God's grace. I mean, he couldn't see completely how God's grace would be displayed. But he did get a glimpse of something incredibly profound. He got a glimpse of God in all his grace using evil to destroy evil. I'm sure this is an oversimplification. I don't know much about this stuff. I mentioned this last week. But the difference between martial arts like karate and kung fu, it's all over the use of force. In karate, the goal is to meet strength with strength, to meet power with power, to meet force with force. But in kung fu, it's different. Watch Bruce Lee sometime. Um, Its goal is to use your opponent's force against himself. It's to redirect the force used by your opponent. It's to use your opponent's own force to defeat your opponent. I feel sure that no one else has ever said this, and probably for good reason, but the gospel is kung fu. Um, I copyright that today. Um, Our great enemy, listen, our great enemy in life, sin, evil, and death. And Joseph got a glimpse of God using sin, evil, and death 
to destroy sin, evil, and death. You did all these evil things, Joseph said to his brothers, but God meant good. God used it to redeem Joseph and also to save thousands and thousands of people, keeping people alive, as he says in verse 20. Saving Egyptians, of course, but also saving his betrayers, his brothers. Who are Joseph's brothers anyway? You don't have to flip back in Genesis to find it. You just look over to the next page in Exodus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and they're all listed for you. Only this time, they're listed as tribes, tribes of Israel. God was at work in his grace, using sin and evil to save and redeem a people for himself. Joseph saw God's remarkable grace of using sin and evil to defeat sin and evil, but it was just a glimpse. Because centuries later, someone else would come, and he would also be rejected by his family. And he would also be betrayed for pieces of silver. And he would be stripped of his clothes, too. And he would be beaten. But he wouldn't be thrown into a well and kept alive. He would be nailed to a cross. And he would cry out to the Father he loved and would be forsaken and abandoned. And it was the greatest display of evil the world has ever seen before or since. The perfect God-man crucified by his creation. But what was God doing? I'm asking you if you have eyes to see it. Because the essence of sin is trying to take God's rightful place on his throne. But the essence of God's salvation is God himself taking your and my rightful place on the cross. What was he doing on the cross and in his grace? He was killing death in his own death. He was breaking brokenness in his own brokenness. He was defeating evil in his own defeat. And he did all of that for you. And listen, when you see that, and when you take it in, that, that ultimately is what has the power to shape you and transform you and soften your heart and change you into something entirely different. I mean, Joseph really isn't the same self-centered kid he was. But did you notice what he, what he said? He didn't say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for my good. He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people would be kept alive. His little world was no longer about himself, is what I'm saying, but about reflecting God's grace to others, being an instrument of God's grace to others. Um, I'm going skip, to skip my last little illustration here because I, I want you to think about one last little thing before we leave this passage. As soon as Joseph heard his brother's message in verse 18, our passage says that Joseph broke down and wept. And you've got to ask, why did he weep? Why was he weeping? Nearly every scholar that looks at this passage comes to the conclusion that Joseph's brothers were lying to him. Right? Their father, Jacob, had just passed away, and they're starting to panic that maybe Joseph's going to pay them back. So they fabricated a message from their depart- departed father that went 
basically something like this. Um, you weren't there, but uh, Dad said you had to be nice to us. And they're lying to Joseph. So why did Joseph weep over their lie? It's because for years and years, if you go back and read this story, Joseph had been showing his brothers kindness and working towards reconciliation with his brothers. And he'd been showing them forgiveness and compassion and provision. And it broke his heart that they were so quick to forget. So quick to not see grace. I think a lot of, a lot of the time in my life, I'm much more like Joseph's brother's than Joseph. And I'm willing to bet some of you could say the same thing, right? That in a moment, we panic and we get afraid and the worry creeps in and we lose complete sight of God's grace. What do we need in that moment? We need to learn to see again. I think it's beautiful that in a few moments after we do the deacon's ordination and installation, that together we're going to come to this table that has bread and wine representing and symbolizing Jesus' body and death. Why? Because you need to see the gospel. You need to see it again and again and be invited back into that good news, an invitation to see the right way that God is on his throne, to see his hand at work for your good in your life and for you, to see God's grace more clearly so that you might be one who reflects his grace to a broken and suffering world. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel and We're right to thank you week in and week out um, that you show this good news of the gospel to us on every page of Scripture. Our eyes are lifted to see Jesus, his person, and his work. And Father, we pray that you would now take this word and that you would write it deeply upon our hearts that you would change us with this good news. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.